Welcome to another episode of Inking of Immunity. I'm your host today, Mike Smetana, and today we're joined by Dr. John Swirk. John is an assistant professor of chemistry at Binghamton University and gained his PhD from Pennsylvania State University. The Swirk Group uh, is an experimental inorganic research group with an interest in understanding how light can be used to drive and understand chemical reactions. One of the projects he and his team are working on is a NIH-funded effort focused on the safety and photochemistry of tattooing. So welcome, John. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So for most of our listeners are used to uh, anthropological or psychological Mm -hmm. research. So I wanted to ask you first if you could just kind of lay out your research in terms that our general audience might understand. So you have a chemistry background. So what got you into this research? And could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So what originally got me interested in tattoos was thinking about, could you use them for medical diagnostics, right? Could you think about somebody who's diabetic, getting a tattoo that might change colors or fade as their insulin levels varied? And it became clear to me as I started researching that area that I did not have the skill set whatsoever to get into that kind of research. But beyond that, it also became really clear that despite the prevalence and the popularity of tattoos that we really don't understand them very well from a scientific perspective. And in particular, as somebody who's interested in how light interacts with molecules and drives chemical reactions, we don't have an answer to a really simple question, which is why does light cause tattoos to fade? Right. I mean, laser tattoo removal is an $11 billion a year or more industry. That's the that's the most recent estimate I have of the size of it. But that's, you know, probably five years out of date by now. And all of that industry, all of that that work on laser tattoo removal, as far as I can tell, is based on a scientific report that has nothing to do with tattoos. And so there's a really big, a really big gap in our understanding because once you start thinking about this question, it leads you to wonder, well, what is happening, right? What is causing a tattoo to fade? What are those molecules breaking down into? And then what might be the risks to human health for some of those breakdown products, right? Even if we understand that the things that go into tattoo inks are perfectly safe, which we don't, right? We don't really even understand the inks themselves well enough. But let's say that what goes into the inks are perfectly safe. There's nothing to guarantee that the photochemical breakdown products are safe as well. And so we were really excited by this this very simple question. So the way we approach the research, or we're trying to approach the research, is we look at the pigments that are in tattoo inks, we try to understand how those break down in you know, an environment that's similar to the human skin layer. We're collaborating with some, some folks in Texas where we're doing a technique that actually watches us shine an intense laser on tattoo ink and then we can 
pretty much watch in real time as the ink explodes or you generate a shockwave from the heating to try and understand how that process works. We do some work with cells looking at how exposure to tattoo inks and then inks and light might impact viability and growth morphology. And that was the original sort of three directions. And as we, we got more into the project, we realized there's a huge gap in our understanding of what actually goes into the tattoo inks. And even the manufacturers sometimes don't have a great sense of what's in the ink because they're not, they're getting pigments from a supplier and they're not necessarily able to analytically test the pigments and know what are going in there. So now we also have some work just trying to figure out what goes into tattoo inks. And then a more recent project where we realized that open tattoo inks have a tendency to become contaminated with bacteria on a relatively short period of time. We think on the matter of a few weeks. And so we're trying to quantify now when you open a bottle of tattoo ink, how long can you have it sitting on the shelf and try to provide some guidance on that. And, and of course that helps our own work. So that's sort of the, you know, 10,000 foot overview of, of what we're doing. Well, that's great. And it seems like a pretty important question to, or questions to be answered for work in an industry that's probably over $11 billion uh, annually now. <laughs> yeah. It's the, the whole laser tattoo removal industry is really kind of surprising to me the more I learn about it. You know, we do a lot of work with lasers in my lab. And anytime we're going to bring a new laser into service, there's a whole process. You know, do we have all of the windows in the room blocked? Do we have all of these safety measures? Do we have interlocks? It needs to be inspected. It needs to be evaluated. And the lasers that you're using for, for laser tattoo removal are more intense by some measures than what we're using for research. And generally, the amount of training you need is, is not that significant, right? And in some states, you might have to have oversight of a physician and others you don't, although quite frankly, I'm not sure what that oversight really does for you. Um, because again, we don't have a great understanding of how the process works, but it's surprisingly easy to get into the laser tattoo removal world. Yeah, I hear you on that one. And I think my I think I've my video may have gone out, but can you hear me? You still there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Mm. Something we've all dealt with over the last year and a half. All right. Can you hear yep. me and see me? Okay, that was weird. I could hear you all, but my video screen just went black. So we were talking about the laser removal industry and how not only is the industry not that well regulated, but we're, we're talking about pretty powerful machinery that doesn't take a very highly trained technician to operate. So that's, that's something I, I hadn't heard of and I didn't know. So that's really interesting. Yeah, you find that a lot with everything involving tattoos. The more I talk to people, there's sort of a mm -hmm. presumption because, you know, tattoo artists, there's a lot of local and state health regulations. They, you know, they're skilled professionals that really pay attention to their craft. So often there's sort of this assumption that from, you know, people who, who aren't involved in the area that, you know, tattoos are well understood, that somebody's looking for the safety of the inks, that this is all kind of worked out. 
and it's it's very much not. It's very much sort of the the wild west out there. So in the U.S., tattoo inks aren't regulated. I think in Europe they've been more recently regulated. Although some recent research shows that up to a third of European tattoo inks are are not labeled accurately, meaning we still really don't know what's in them. So <laughs> I don't know how regulated that can be. Could you could you tell us a little bit about why you think the U.S. doesn't regulate inks? And besides what we've talked about, what are some of the other implications of this? So I think it's kind of a multifaceted problem. One, the tattoo industry generally is not crying out for regulation. Two, I think the attitude kind of across the board towards tattoos at the federal level is you're making a choice to do this. And so that comes with consequences and you are going to live with those consequences. It's the same kind of attitude that the government has towards most cosmetics, right? They don't go out there and regulate lipsticks and blushes and things like that. But of course, the difference is that those aren't being injected into the skin. They're not necessarily permanent. But that's kind of the, I think that's kind of the overarching attitude, or at least that's that's some of it, is just that if you're getting a tattoo, you're making a choice, and so for better or ill, you're going to live with the consequences. Beyond that, the FDA, which, as I understand it, is the agency that would have the regulatory authority, I think they're, they're a little under-resourced for all of the things they could be doing. Right. So they don't necessarily have the resources to go out looking at tattoo inks. And then beyond that, there's an important question of what would they be looking for? I mean, that's kind of the question that Europe is trying to answer. There's just not that much research on tattoos and there's even less understanding about what what can happen, what can go wrong. And so what do you regulate? Do you need to regulate heavy metal composition? Maybe, but we also don't know whether or not heavy metals that are present in tattoo inks can necessarily escape from those inks. Do you regulate the type of dyes? Maybe, but we don't know whether or not some of these molecular pigments are hazardous to human health. So I think even if even if there was the will and even if there were the resources to regulate, there's a there's a fundamental question of what do you regulate? The other part of this is that when you think about it, most regulation is driven by some kind of problem. You know, people are eating bad meat and so they they start regulating meat production. With tattoos, we don't necessarily understand the problems. We know that allergies can be a, a significant issue. And I think sometimes when people hear an allergic reaction to a tattoo ink, it doesn't necessarily capture the severity of what this really means, right? Because you're talking about something that is embedded in your skin 24-7 and the, the allergic reaction can be very severe. It can be painful. It can be debilitating. It can be you know, visually problematic. So we know about that, and we know that there doesn't seem to be 
unusually high incidence of skin cancer with people that have tattoos. One of the questions I have, though, even with that, that research is, if you're thinking about light and breakdown of tattoo products as being a potential issue, you know, there's a real difference between somebody with a tattoo on their back and somebody whose arms are sleeved and their tattoos are exposed to light every day. And I don't know if the research really captures that. And then beyond that, because we don't really understand what the risks could be, I think we don't understand what else we should be looking for, right? If, mm-hmm. if heavy metal contamination, heavy metal leaching is a problem with tattoos, should we be looking at instances of neurodegenerative diseases, which often correlates to, to that? But without knowing what we should be looking for, you know, we don't know where there, there might be risks. So again, we just don't understand what you would want to regulate. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. So no pun intended, but it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. It seems like there's so much out there that it's, it's difficult to comb through everything to know exactly what we need to be addressing here. Yeah. And, you know, we've really run into the fact that we're not starting from a basis where, you know, the inks are well understood and, you know, Mm -hmm. they're rigorously labeled and we know exactly what goes in there. And we have some understandings of, you know, risks of some of these pigments and just that basic understanding is not there yet either. And so we've actually had to kind of take a step back from where we thought we would be to just study study these inks study bacterial contamination because it looks like over the course of a few weeks once you open a a thing of tattoo ink you can have contamination now maybe in a busy studio that's not an issue right Mm -hmm. maybe they're turning over the inks every day but you know when we're doing research that becomes a problem and so that means okay we got to go find a biosafety cabinet and you know approach it that way so mm-hmm. that's getting a little bit off off your question but that's sort of the challenges of working in this area is that there's just not that much to start on and, and it's kind of poorly understood what there is no it's i think it would probably be quite a shock to most people that are getting tattoos to know that they aren't regulated and, and really much isn't known about them and i think I think we should clarify, we're talking about synthetic inks, right? Or has your group done research into to inks from organic sources? I know that traditional tattooing cultures have been making their own inks for thousands of years using more readily available materials such as soot from charcoal or, or burning things yeah. and using different natural emulsifiers which probably are are made in much smaller batches. They're not being processed and produced to be shelf stable and things like that. So I was wondering, have you looked at the difference between manufactured inks versus, well, naturally manufactured inks? No, we, we really haven't. I mean, you, you raise a good point that when you look at cultures that have a tradition of tattooing and, and are making their own inks, you know, certainly what I say to people is, you know, tattoos have been around for a long time and, and people are not dropping dead from tattoos, at least as far as we know. So, you know, the, there isn't a, a crisis here, 
But I think our focus has been more on, you know, the wider tattooing world. You know, the number of tattoos that are being done with traditional products and traditional inks is fairly small compared to tattoos that are being done with things that are manufactured with maybe, you know, synthetic pigments and things like that. And part of that is that a lot of traditional tattooing doesn't necessarily come with the whole color palette that your modern tattoo Mm -hmm. shop has to offer. And that's for good reason, right? You can make a black pigment pretty readily, but red, green, blue, you know, it's hard to make a pigment that's going to last for those colors. And so Mm -hmm. they're using pigments that are, you know, derived for paints and for manufacturing of toys and maybe in some case food additives, but usually it's more things that you would find in paints and textile dyeing and things like that. Um, So, you know, it might be interesting to look at natural pigment sources at some point. To be honest, the other part of this is that if you think about burning, you know, wood to make soot, that is a lot of different chemical species in there, right? It's not mm-hmm. just one thing. It, that wood breaks down into a huge number of things. And so from the perspective of trying to do some basic science and understanding how these things transform, it's a lot easier for us to start with something where we have ideally one or two well-defined pigments and then we can work with that as opposed to 50 or 60 possible compounds. You know, we just don't have the resources or the team size to attack something of that kind of complexity and also, you know, be able to make progress in other areas. Oh, definitely. Um, so you mentioned there a, a few of the sources that these tattooings are coming from, whether it be for paint or textile dyeing. When we're thinking about this, what other ingredients go into making these inks and to you, what are the most concerning and and why? Yeah. So, so your typical ink is comprised of some pigment and the pigments might be molecules or they might be particles. Right. And so basically when I say particles, what you can think of is very, very small bits of rock for lack of a better descriptor. So right there, you already have two potential concerns. One, some of these pigments, the molecular pigments may be carcinogens. They may not, but there is some reason to be concerned. And we also, again, don't understand what they might break down into when you shine light on them. And then two, the the particles that are getting put into the, to the inks, ideally, you're using relatively large particles because larger particles don't get uptaken very well into cells. But if you have a lot of nanoparticles, right, things that are very small, we know that there are risks of nanoparticles getting into cells, potentially causing issues, maybe being carcinogens again as well. And so particle size becomes a question. Then typically you have some kind of binder in the ink we don't really understand what the potential concerns with that may be, if there are any. And then typically you've got some kind of solvent 
that is, you know, there to sort of keep everything suspended and some additives to help. We find that a lot of inks have like propylene glycol in them or ethylene glycol in them. And we don't know for sure, but we think that when you have bacterial contamination, that, that those things are providing the food source for bacteria to grow because often you have a pretty high amount of some kind of alcohol in these inks. And so it's a little surprising. You can see bacterial growth and we think that that's providing the food source, but that may change. It's, again, it's research and, and our understanding can change over time. So when we look at what's in the solvent, you know, ideally you're using water or you're using rubbing alcohol, something like that. But we have some evidence of other things in the solvent that maybe we haven't quite figured out what they are, but we know that they boil off for lack of a better term at a temperature that's too low and that there's nothing that you would really be excited about to put in your body that should be boiling off at that temperature. Um, mm. So there are potential concerns at all of those levels. And, you know, I don't want that necessarily to come across as a criticism of the ink manufacturers specifically, because they're in a sort of difficult position as well. My understanding is that oftentimes the people that make pigments don't want to sell to tattoo ink manufacturers. And so they'll work through shell companies. Um, these companies don't necessarily have the same access to tools that, you know, I do as, and as part of an academic chemistry lab. And so they're relying in many cases on the product that they're buying to be labeled correctly. And if it's not, they don't necessarily have the tools to understand that. So it's, there are concerns at every level. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. it's, I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so, I, I mean, so far we've been talking mostly about the, the inks themselves and, and once you get into actually inserting the inks and, and having those inks exposed to light, if they're in a visible area and not covered, then you have a breakdown of the ink, right? And that's kind of what you're trying to get at. Do we know much about what happens once these inks start to break down and, and interact with each other and, and other tissues and cells in, in the body? I think, I think the short answer to this is no, we really don't. There have been a few studies looking at how some more common pigments break down when exposed to light, but one of the issues with those studies is that they're not done in water. So it's an environment that doesn't look anything like the human dermal layer. Now, it may be that the results are totally applicable in water, but, you know, it, it's a limitation there. But generally, we really don't have answers to any of those questions yet, which is what makes it such an interesting but also sort of challenging research project because research is typically built on things that came before and then you advance it. And so when there's not much that's come before, you're trying to trailblaze. So we don't under, we really don't understand what the breakdown products are. We don't understand the mechanism of breakdown. We don't understand how the inks interact with the cells. I mean, even, even just as simple a question as how does the ink stay in the dermal layer, mm -hmm. I would say is not 
a question that has been answered definitively, right? Mm -hmm. The best thinking that we have is that when you embed the tattoo ink into the skin, that the body forms kind of a net of white blood cells around that ink particle. And that over time, white blood cells will die off and they'll be replaced by new white blood cells. The presumed mechanism of like at least laser tattoo removal is that when you zap that ink particle with a laser, you cause the tattoo ink particle to fragment and then like the white blood cells can eat it up now and get it out of the body. But again, that's not really based on much. That's just sort of based on a lot of assumptions. And one of the questions we have is, do you actually have this fragmentation effect, right? Because you could imagine a scenario, there's a lot of heat and a lot of energy that gets dumped in all at once with that laser that might not necessarily cause the ink particle to fragment, but it might kill all of the cells that are holding that particle in place. And so is it just that you basically tear a hole in the net and some of the ink escapes? We don't know. And so that's sort of where we have to start to understand the, the sort of mechanism that these things happen. So you are, you're truly on, a, on an island here. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting stuff that you all are trying to do here. Yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail more on the head than you really intended there. I'm not sure if there's anybody else in the U.S. that's funded to do research, you know, on the, the science of tattoos. And there's only a handful of people in Europe, to my knowledge. And that that also causes challenges, too, because when you don't have a lot of people working on a problem, progress is very slow. And while we have funding from NIH, that equates to one grad student and a handful of undergrads, which, you know, we're making progress, but it's difficult to really make progress quickly with what is a pretty small research team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, I totally understand that. Um, going back a little bit to how these inks come about and I'm interested to know how these inks are tested in, an, in, a, in a way that's not re regulated by the market or by the government. How do we know? And you said there's not the, the problems aren't so vast that anyone getting a tattoo should be concerned that they're going to have severe health effects that we know of. But how, how are these inks tested out? How do we know that they're relatively safe? You know, to, to the best of my knowledge, what happens is that the community really regulates itself, right? That people say, hey, you know, my client had a really bad outcome with this ink. And, and other people say, yeah, I had a really bad outcome with this ink as well. And, and people stop using it. it. And this is not to say that it doesn't happen, but I don't know of specific testing at the manufacturer level. So my sense, and again, this is just my sense, but my sense is that a lot of this is driven by things that are happening in, in the studios, right? You know, people are having a bad reaction and then word gets around the community. 
one of the challenges, one of the things that makes understanding tattoos uniquely difficult is that often when you do have a problem with your tattoo, it's not immediate. It's weeks, months, maybe years later. And, you know, by that point, you may not even be able to, to figure out what ink was used in it, let alone something critical like a batch number, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to, to give you a sense of just how far we have to go in terms of understanding, we know that if you're going to have a reaction to a tattoo, a bad, like, allergic reaction, that the likelihood of you having a bad reaction to a red ink is higher than anything else, right? We know that red inks are, are the, the number one culprit. But when you think about that, right, there are tens of thousands of different red tattoo inks out there in the world. Some of them may have the same pigments in them, but most of them have their own particular composition, their own particular blend. It seems unlikely that, you know, it's just specific to some some red pigment that happens to be in all the red tattoo inks that are causing a problem because it's, it is, again, the most common color that you'd have an issue with. And so that hints at something, probably something photochemical, but we don't know what that is. They've known for a long time that red is the biggest problem, right, from the, in the medical literature, but we still don't understand. Do you have any ideas of, of why this might be? Any guesses as to what, what it is about red? So... It's a really good question, and I don't, you know, there's things we can guess at, right? Many of the red pigments contain, you know, a, a molecular structure that could be somewhat reactive. If you think about, you know, from a color perspective, what's typically happening to give you the red is that you're absorbing blue light and you're reflecting or you're not absorbing the red light back. Blue light is the highest energy visible light that we have. So, you know, you may be driving more chemistry with that. It could just be that something like iron oxide is common enough and, and that that's really what the issue is. Although you find that in like brown inks. It could be that, you know, there's a common issue of chromium contamination in red inks that we don't really recognize and, and that, you know, that's causing a problem. You know, it's it's a challenge because in a vacuum, the way you would do it, right, is you would have a bunch of people get tattooed with different red inks and see which, you know, they formed a reaction to and, and have characterized the, the inks to start with. So you'd say, ah, well, you know, these three inks caused a problem. And, you know, we know that, that this component is in all of them, therefore this is the problem. But, you know, that's wildly unethical, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it would be an insane thing to do in real life, right? Trying to intentionally get somebody to have an allergic reaction. And, you know, who's going to want a series of little red squares on their arm, you know, waiting to see which one breaks out. So we're left kind of trying to sift through the evidence and say, well, you know, this is pretty common. And, you know, can we see something in cell studies that maybe hints at what's going on? Um, but we don't have a great understanding to begin with. And, we have to, to try to build it as we go. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate you going out on a limb there with me and, and 
venturing some guesses because it's it's just an it's an interesting thing to think about when we don't when we don't understand something and or we don't have the science that we can build on sometimes we need to do a little bit of that guesswork i guess mm-hmm. so i know we're getting close to uh class time here so i don't want to keep you too long um but i was just wanted to ask what do you see for the future of this research that you're doing and what do you hope besides answering these general questions that you've laid out, what do, what do you hope this impact of this work will be? That's a great question. You know, weirdly enough, we're sometimes people assume that we are, we're as a group, we're really not anti-tattoo. And when I think about the motivation for a lot of this work, what motivates me a lot is kind of a deep respect for the tattoo artists right? Because these are, these are people that are serious professionals. They work at their craft. I've been fortunate enough to get a little glimpse into their world, but you know, they spend a lot of, there's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of, you know, people talking about the technical aspects and how it improves. And I think unfairly, maybe from, you know, bygone era, people with a lot of tattoos and tattooing is still looked at, still looked at a little bit of scans, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, these people are really, really motivated professionals that are serious about doing the best job they can for their clients. And, you know, it bugs me that they're they're not being empowered to do the best job possible, right? That because, you know, we don't understand these things, that because there's no kind of oversight that that they have to sort of self-police and hope that the ink they're using is not going to be causing a problem for their, their person down the road. What motivates me is that we have the tools to, to do this. And when I think about tattooing and you look at how quickly it's growing, I worry about the potential for mischief, right? Because there's no, the only barrier to you going out today and making your own tattoo ink is convincing somebody to buy it. Mm -hmm. And as the years go, people get older and maybe problems related to the tattoos develop or problems related to removal develop. Our hope is that if nothing else, our research may provide a snapshot in time as to what was going on today. And so that may provide some some insight down the road. It might help guide sort of best practice decision-making down the road. Um, And again, help the people that are doing tattoos to do the best job that they can for their clients. And so that's really, that's really what our goal is beyond just sort of answering some basic science questions is to really try to help this field be the best that it wants to be. And, And they really want you know, collectively, I think most tattoo artists and most people that are into tattooing really want the best possible outcomes for people getting tattoos. Well, I think that's great. And it was really nice to hear such a different perspective than we're used to on the show. So uh, we appreciate you coming on and and sharing your your knowledge. And I know I'll be interested to follow uh, what comes out of this work. So we appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And uh, before you go, if you want to share any ways that people can follow what you're doing, feel free. 
Yeah, uh, we're on Twitter at SwerkLab, S-W-I-E-R-K-L-A-B. They can find us at johnswerk.com uh, or through the, the Binghamton University Chemistry Department. Those are a lot of the ways that we push out the newest things that are going on with research and, and try to share some stuff that way. Awesome. Well, thank you again and check out this work, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're on Twitter at inking underscore immunity and on Instagram and Facebook at inking.of.immunity. The hosts of the show are Dr. Chris Lynn and Mike Smetana at the University of Alabama and Dr. Becky Owens at UK Sunderland. Kira Yancey is the production manager. Thanks to the University of Alabama Anthropology Department for helping make this show possible. You can find our full unedited season two interviews on our Facebook page or watch them happening live on Facebook most Wednesday mornings. See you next time.